the window had been busted out and our gear, part of our gear had been stolen. Uh, there's nowhere to play up here at all. I'm sitting there kind of by myself, like waiting for my manners. And, and the mirrors, like they, the mirrors kind of like spin open like 90 degrees, like they kind of rotate open. And all these women in sexy lingerie can come walking out from behind the mirrors. I'm just well, going to throw this out there that it almost sounded like you were kind of the dark side sometimes of the scene. Just when I parted ways with monuments, and so it was a really, really desperate time of my life. At the end of it, our bass player told us, like, he just looked at us and was like, yeah, this is my last show. So, like, basically back to the beast era. Dealing with this alcohol intake, and we're at a Christian festival, and we're supposed to be a Christian band. I was kind of like, man, this, this sucks. This is not a good look. Welcome back to Dark Side of the Scene. I'm Brandon. I'm Ed. The dynamic duo. Yeah, sure. Dynamic duo. So I have a something cool to share, but I don't know if it's that cool. They, uh, I went to see Emperor live right in Chicago. It was fantastic, and they were selling merch. They were selling merch like crazy. Silence your damn phone, dinger. The ring a ding ding. I can't control that, but uh. Anyway, the the opening band, which was pretty cool, they're called Immortal Bird, and a female singer, and she flat out said, "You know, support us. We didn't bring any merch because Live Nation decided they want to charge us twenty percent. Mind you, they were like a local band who just happened to get the opportunity to open for Emperor, and it was kind of crazy because." They just she flat out said that, <laughs> and that's why I knew they didn't have any merch to sell. And I'm like, that's weird. And God only knows how much they made off Emperor that night because like everything almost sold out. So that's messed up, dude. <laughs> for real. Yeah, that it's sounds a, about on par for Live Nation and all that stuff. They're all fucking crooks. That's fucked up. Like especially that for a local band, you know. I mean, good for them. I gave them a a like, you know, follow their page just for saying that. I mean, I liked them anyway, but that sucks, you know, like you have such a big audience and I would hope people fo- fo- followed through and ordered some merch for from them after that, but who knows? It just sucks for them. They got to play in front of a bunch of people at least. Right. But at the so end of the day, fuck yeah. taking merch cuts. Yeah. I guess I see the point. I don't like as a business. Yeah. They want to cut of that. But at the same time, it's like, you didn't pay for this shit. So why are you trying to take money from that's horse shit? Yeah. Anyways, we've beat that horse pretty much to the fact there's just meat laying there. He's, he's been dead for a while, but the merch <laughs> Uh, it's just vultures still picking at it it's just bullshit so yeah we all know it's the the real thing but it's almost like i almost don't want to go to that venue anymore because of that i don't know why i mean i mean drinks were ridiculously priced anyway i mean i didn't drink anything i just saw how much like beer was and i'm like fuck you (laughs) 
I never bought beer from a concert because of how expensive the shit is. No, I mean, there's no point in it. It's like you're better off just like pre gaming, but pre game out in the parking lot. Done yeah. that before. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. <laughs> there's some tips for you out there listening, guys. Pre game. Pre game. Pre game because <laughs> Live Nation ain't out in the parking lot watching you. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, you're out there listening. We appreciate you. We're thankful. Yes. If you have not done so yet, you can find us on Facebook. Give us a like. You can find us on Instagram, even though I don't really post on there. We've recently made a Facebook group. Now you can get on there and talk a bunch of shit if you want to. (laughs) I mean, sometimes the world needs to know about the bad happenings that go on that no one ever wants to talk about. So here's your opportunity. If you don't want to come on the podcast, you can get on there and talk with like-minded individuals. Yep. But on that note, I guess if you would like to be on an episode, you can send an email to Brandon at darksidethescene.com. We'll get you scheduled. But we've got a dude named Scott ready to get on here, so we're going to hang tight and bring him on and hear what he's got to say. I'd like to take this time to welcome Scott to the show. Scott, thanks for coming out and talking to Ed and I. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Um, so Scott, what tell us about yourself? <laughs> um, yeah, so uh I'm originally from New Orleans. I uh came over to Texas. I was in a couple bands uh here in here in Texas. Um I was with a uh uh, three different bands, you know, we, a uh, band called My Fix, a band called Gigantelope, and a band called School for the Death. And we've got all our stuff on, you know, all the, all the streaming and everything. Um, yeah, man, outside of that, uh, you know, live here in Austin, Texas and soaking up some of this heat. Mm. I you, saw, hang on, sorry. Okay. You're fine. I saw or listed in the School for the Death, and I was actually talking to Ed about this a little bit ago. I said, it looks like he's in a band called School for the Deaf. I was like, unless he worked at a school for the deaf. I was confused. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Yeah, it's School for the Deaf, one word. uh, If you're looking it up on like any of the stuff. And yeah. What do you, what do you do in their bands? Like what? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I play bass uh, on this last project. Um, I played bass and guitars. Um, you know, during the recording process, um, we basically we were running as three piece space drums and vocals, and um, we were really looking to keep it that way. And um, when it came to the recording process, um, we just kind of were recording for ourselves and um, just to kind of like you know tweak vocals and you know kind of um really just like an in-house project and it ended up turning into, Oh man, this sounds awesome. Like, I don't know. We weren't really trying to, to really record um, the album, you know, but then by the time we were like knee deep in it, we're like, man, this is sounding really good. And, you know, is it like we, we would go back and be like, yeah, well, we didn't, we didn't really do all of the, the bass trickery, you know, to get like, you know, we, we run our, ran our bass live through like, splitters and two different you know like a 
basically a guitar setup and then a bass setup. And we didn't do that on the recording. It was like, we just recorded bass and drums. And um, I, I guess we could have probably tweaked some stuff and had that like distorted bass sound, but we've never done that in a studio environment, you know? So it was like, Hey, just grab the guitar. Let's put down guitars on it. And um, so, um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of my role on some of that stuff. Um, on this, this last album, I did um, a lot of the writing on it. Um, since there was no other like guitar players, so, you know, the, the drummer's looking at me like, what's up, what do we got, you know, and vocalists, same thing. And so it just kind of ended up falling in my lap. And then, um, you know, it was kind of the same with the recording process too on, on that album. We ended up trying to kind of like, we just did everything ourselves um, just because of, you know, things going on in the world. Right. And then uh, also like we were right in the middle uh Austin, Texas had hit this crazy cold snap thing that was just like out of control. They called it snowpocalypse. It snowed here in Austin for like, it was like three weeks of just like this crazy cold where nobody could drive and all this, you know, Austin shuts down when it's cold. So when it gets like a little, like an inch of snow, it's like everybody freaks out. And so we were all kind of stuck at home and um, just recorded like nonstop and got this album done. So is that so, when yeah. all the power grids went down? Hmm. yep that was it that was it and for some reason in our little bubble right here what had happened was really interesting we had a uh my old guitar player from the band my fix um was uh, i went to school for recording and everything and we were gonna we were going to record during um well during that time we were going to record like two songs we we flew him here um bam that snowpocalypse hit he's like stuck here and we had rented all of this like awesome equipment and um so while he's stuck here you know we had like rented all this equipment for like two days and all of a sudden everything shut down for weeks and so we were all like you know including him like man let's just put it all down let's get it all down and you know of course like the the place we rented all the equipment from they were like man don't even worry about it just hold on to all the stuff and we'll, we'll settle you know we'll, we'll comp you guys and um everything you know we're not going to charge you obviously can't get over here to return the stuff we're like awesome and for whatever reason we didn't lose any power right here and um it was really it was really cool we just all hung out for a couple of weeks so nice but up here it snows all the time in the winter so we're just kind of used to it when you said it oh, just yeah. snow, i was like that's nothing down here right here. yeah and i think and i think at that time we had probably like a you know it was like a solid foot of snow and um, just like, you know, everybody freaks out. Like you, nobody knows how to drive in it. Nobody knows what to do in it. Like, and of course, like the people from up North are like, you guys are crazy, but of course nobody's saying anything. Cause you don't have to go to work. Kids don't have to go to school. Like it's the whole thing. You know? So I used to oh. plow snow for the state highway department. So for eight years, I hated snow now, but I don't do that anymore. I could give a shit less. Yeah. I still yeah. hate it. Never lived here all my life. <laughs> yeah, people from I, I hear people from up north say like the first day it's nice, and then after that it's like okay, I'm over it. No, I'm always over it. I live in the wrong area though. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I, I don't really like cold weather either. Yeah, but I don't like miserable hot weather. So there's like no happy medium for me. Yeah, it's hot here. I like spring and fall type weather. I guess. Give me, 
give me low 80s at the highest it'll get and lows in the 40s or 50s and I'll be good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's optimal. Somewhere that place exists. I just don't know where at. San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> Outer know. space. <laughs> that doesn't exist either. Oh, yeah. It's anyway. all lies. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So I was going to ask, so how long have you been playing then, Scott? Yeah, so it's been um, 20-something years. Okay. So you got a lot of experience and yeah, crazy my first, things happening to you. Yeah, yeah. We've had we've seen it all, you know, like um we've had the crazy good times, crazy good stories. Mm. Um yeah. Yeah. Um I've definitely got some stories. Uh okay, I, I can tell you a, a a really good one. This is uh sure. Yeah, so um my band, uh my band my fix, my first band. Um, we had a, uh, we had a female singer. We, we really did a lot with that band. We ended up, um, we ended up opening up for Slipknot on their first, their first album. Um, Mudvayne, Hatebreed, Nonpoint. We, we used to play with Drowning Pool before and after they got picked up. Mm, Um, yeah. Uh, let me see what else. So anyways, we used to play, um, a lot of just like this, you know, Texas circuit. We'd we were based out of uh, this little town called uh, Colleen, which is about 40 minutes outside of Austin. It's a little military town. And um, we used to uh, drive to, it was like really cool because we were kind of in the center of like San Antonio, Austin, Houston, Dallas. Um, and then, you know, we could go a couple hours away and hit like some, a couple other markets. Uh, Corpus Christi wasn't too far away. Um, and so we, um, we would play this, uh, we would play Fort Worth a lot with this band, um, named Sweet Tooth, um, good friends of ours. And, um, every time we would go there, you know, we play, we would play with them maybe once every two, two or three months or something in Fort Worth. And, um, so we would drive up there and it was always like, you know, it would be dependent on Friday or Saturday or something, you know, that we would pull in Fort Worth. And, you know, sometimes if it was the Friday, we'd go straight to the club, you know, because, maybe like one of our guys was getting off work or something and we we leave our area and we haul ass to get to you know Fort Worth on time but if it was like a Saturday show we would go a little early and we'd go hang out with them at their house and all that stuff and kind of kind of pregame a little bit so we um my singer Amanda was uh she was a she was a big juggalo right into ICP and so was my um like my bass tech guy and they were like best friends and they were just like, you know, just is silly in the ICP. Like, and so we go to this, uh, we're, we're, we're going to play the show in Fort Worth. Right. And we're going to hang out at Sweet Tooth's house. They all lived in this house um, prior to the show. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're pulling into like some, you know, this neighborhood and it's, it's because we don't always go to their house. It was kind of like, Oh man, which house is it again? You know, all this kind of stuff. Well, my base tech guy, we're in probably like three or four cars. Um, got some people hanging with us. We have the band, we have girlfriends, all this kind of stuff. Well, our, um, the guy that hooks up my base, his name's James. This guy, he's the one that like, you know, big ICP fan. And he's got, he, now I want you to picture this. The guy is wearing like a Kung Fu outfit. Okay. 
<laughs> he's got um you know you know what i mean with the like the button snap thing yeah like the, they, everybody used to wear those all the time i wish i yeah, did yeah okay. <laughs> yeah and he's got and they got it's like a black outfit and it's got like white cufflink kind of looking things yeah um yeah and so he's wearing that he's got um we had just gone the band had just gone to disney world like a couple weeks prior to that so he's got like these disney oh like mickey mouse overstuffed gloves you know with three fingers mm. it's sitting on his hands so he's got those on his face is painted white. He's got a lip ring. He's got um he wore he wore um contacts and um you know at that time, right? Bands like we're all we got no money, we got bullshit jobs, you know, all this kind of stuff. So he wears contacts and then he also has like these like colored contacts and, and stuff, and they're prescription. Well, of course, he's lost his regular contacts and he's got like two separate of these other like weird contacts so one of them is like a cat eye and the other one is a um like a white eye and he's if people were like oh you know and like oh is he wearing them to, you know and whatever and it was like no he's actually wearing them because he lost his real contacts and he lost one of each of these so this is like all he has to see with and so you know so he's really wearing them because he has to kind of so the guy's got white face paint, different colored contacts in. He's got a beanie on, but he cut holes in the beanie so that his Mickey Mouse ears could stick through the beanie. Okay. Um, so this guy just looks totally ridiculous. Lip ring. Okay. So we we pull into this neighborhood and we're like, man, which house is what? Okay. I think it, this, I think this is it right here. Right. So we all pull up on the curb and, um, you know, I think I'm in like the second or third car back and I'm just like, in the back seat or whatever, or talking to my friend or whatever. So we pull up, we stop for a second. Um, a couple minutes later, somebody's like, Oh, you know what? Their house is about, I think, I think my guitar player was like calling them. Hey, we're here. And they go, Oh, we're, Hey, we're outside. You got, Oh, we see you guys. You're up the street. Y'all need to come up about four to five houses closer. And we're like, Oh, okay. So now I feel the cars pull off and everything. And, um, we go park in front of Sweet Two's house and we get out and we go inside and we're like, what's up? You know, high-fiving and everything. And, um, and uh, you know, and the house always has a bunch of people in it, you know, that are like other bands or, you know, friends and everybody that's going to the show that night. It's always like you're meeting new people and all this kind of stuff, right? So like a couple minutes later, um, five, 10 minutes later, that guy James walks in and he's like sweating, dude. He's like sweat just pouring off his face and he's like shaking a little bit. And we're like, dude, what's up? Where, what are you doing? Where you been? And he's like, man, he's like, when y'all stopped the cars, I got out of the car and I walked into the house up the street. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, I walked into the house. I thought you guys were all in there. And we're like, what? And he's like, he's like, yeah, I walked into the, um, the living room and there was some lady sitting on the couch and I looked at her and she looked at me and um, he's like, so I just waved to her and I walked in the kitchen. Cause I thought you guys went in the kitchen or something. And so I walked back into their kitchen. He's like, and somebody from the back room was like, who is it? Who's here? Or something like that. And the lady on the couch was like, it's a lunatic. And uh -huh. They started freaking out. And he was like, Oh my God, sorry, I'm in the wrong house. But he ran out of the house and came up the street where he saw us, all, saw us all parked and came inside and was just like super freaked out. And 
that had to be like the best band story ever. These people had to see that weirdo come up what, in there. What state was that in? That was in that was in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. So I'm surprised he didn't get shot at. No <laughs> kidding, dude. No kidding. <laughs> and he was freaked out when he realized. Oh man. You no, know, and he thought he was like, man, I'm used to like coming in, you know. And there's always like some new person sitting on the couch. He's like, I just thought it was a person hanging out, you know, waiting for the show tonight. But definitely one of the best stories ever. That could have maybe not for him, but it's probably funny now. But yikes! Oh yeah. <laughs> Looking all ridiculous and then freaking out some people. I mean, yeah, yeah. especially nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, nice. Any, uh, I guess any like crazy venue stories, or I mean, we talk a lot about the whole like venues taking cuts. I don't think at the time that happened back in the day, but now it seems to be like a a thing now <laughs> well you know i'll tell you what like uh kind of what that band had really modeled itself afterwards uh we went and found a club a bar that was doing really shitty and um like had nothing to do with heavy metal had nothing to do with like nothing right just really shitty and we sat on a friday night and watched as like you know they had like a couple pool tables or bar we watched how much money they made on a friday night um, we went to the owner guy and said, Hey man, listen, what if we brought like our PA, we set up in the corner, we brought our friends and charged at charged at the door and we kept the door and, um, you can make the alcohol. We'll pack this place out. The guy's like, yeah. And, um, we, we fucked off all the, all the metal bars in town and all that stuff, all the music places. And we just started our own thing. And, um, you know, got our crowd big enough to where we went to the big clubs and said, Hey, we'll play here, but we want to take the door. And the clubs were like, yeah, no, we don't do it like that. And we're like, well, we don't do it any other way. And they, I think they snubbed us once or twice more. And then they ended up, uh, they ended up it being us being a problem if we were playing on the same night as any other band. And then they were like, all right, you guys can do it that way. And so we kind of did it where, um, so our last local show, we ended up making, um, you know, which was an, was an average show at the time. It wasn't, didn't mean to be, it wasn't like a farewell show or anything like that. It just ended up being like the last show we played. Uh, we ended up making after we paid the sound crew after we paid, um, because we, we didn't even use their sound. Like we would be like, we want our own sound crew from, um, like a, so we got like a big, like a, a sound crew out of Austin that would like do like, you know, big shows and stuff. Like we would bring them down mm -hmm. to clean, which was again, like 45 minutes. So we would pay like top dollar. So we, we ended up paying the sound crew, paying each of the other bands. And, um, we ended up making $8,000, um, at our show. And, uh, and our other bands started to kind of replicate that here in Austin, you know, same thing. We'd go look for a bar that was just like, you know, not doing great. And they don't know any, they actually don't know any different, you know, like you go, we'd like to have you bring you a bunch more customers and we just want to have somebody work the door and charge five bucks. And um, so I think, I think from a local level, I think bands, if they still kind of did some stuff like that, I think there's still a little bit of wiggle room. 
you know yeah it's a it's a hard sell to do that nowadays like hey you know take a bar a crappy bar for example and then just kind of present that idea i mean i don't know i feel like it works sometimes uh i think we had a place up here where they kind of attempted to do that but then mm -hmm. like it was kind of like in the middle now let's say it was in the middle of nowhere it's just the location sucked and it never did real well on the fridays but like i guess that varies because our area is like kind of like a hit and miss but again it all depends on the area generally so how's your music scene where you live then i mean it sounds kind of thriving well austin it's kind of weird right because people think of austin and austin even has this like this title of live music capital and i think it so back in like the uh back in like the early 90s i think it was like that um hmm. it was like kind of the new cool spot like you know and it was real supportive because it was supportive of like our pop punk, like stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I think cause a lot of the college kids and stuff, and for some reason, like metal, they actually, they had a bars like, you know, that is like kind of a classic, you know, a lot of the, the people who've been around in the Austin scene for a long time know about this place called the back room. And it was like the place where like heavy bands would play, but the back room was always kind of like, you know, and, and Austin in general was always like the place where, you know, you would look at all the shows that you had coming up for the month and you'd be like, okay, we're playing San Antonio. And at the time it was the white rabbit, which was like, that place was, you know, everybody knew the white rabbit, like it's legendary, you know, and that place was like this all ages venue in San Antonio that everybody loved to play. It had two stages that had a, a back room a front room the front room was like this big main stage where you could put a national act but the back room was this like no ac little tiny stage it stood like maybe like a foot off the floor and it was like the grind like and and it was so much fun to play like you liked playing the the big stage the main room because it was like um you kind of felt like you know you got like rock star treatment right but if you played the back room oh man it was like you could fit probably like 50 kids in there and they would all fit in there and so it was it was a great setup because they would play main stage and while the bands were rotating off the main stage the second stage would pop off and so man if you played that second stage th those kids were like fighting to be one of the like 50 or 75 kids that would cram into this little sweaty and i don't think there was any ac in the back room it was just nasty and it was it was the energy was just like off the charts and so you know that club if you could play san antonio and hit up the white rabbit it was definitely like incredible and then you would play um dallas which was this whole different vibe man dallas was like you know brought from like the roots of like pantera so it was like very metal like you know, hmm. like the, the difference of metal bands from San Antonio to, to Dallas was crazy because San Antonio was more of like this like Hollywood type, you know, spin off of it, which was still cool. You know, there was a lot of cool bands that came from there, but it was like it was like makeup and, you know, like tight pants. And then you would go to Dallas and it was like not that at all, you know, so it was more just like the, the like the heavier, the better, you know, and so um it was like you would play with two total different bands, you know, my band kind of fit 
but in both in both those genres real well you know and so um so we loved it man we love playing those cities but when it came to austin we'd see austin on the you know on the thing we'd be like uh just because we knew like it was still fine because you still had your people that would come you know diehard metal fans that would come out but the scene here was mostly like this like pop like pop punk kind of um kind of thing and we had some good friends that were in like bands that were um that were in like that power pop punk scene um and they loved austin and austin loved them right back so um yeah austin's always been a little bit of a struggle and then you know like i said it's the they build themselves like this live music capital um but since this city has grown so much um austin like i don't know if y'all see but it's always on these lists of like best places to live and all this kind of stuff so yeah. when that when that happened you know we got a ton of people from like california and just like all over it's a lot of people from california but it made it to where a lot of like these clubs got like either shut down or like bought up and gobbled up by like, Oh, they're, they're tearing down this club that's been here for forever. And they're putting up a high rise, you know? And, um, and then there'd be some club that all of a sudden these, like, you know, these high rises are full of people living in them, you know, they're like apartment complexes and stuff. And then they have like, they're putting all these like sound ordinances and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, so the clubs have to stop playing music by a certain time. And um, it really made like a lot of the like cool venues and stuff. Just, I don't know. So like me, for a kid that wants to go check out a show, I should, I shouldn't say kid, an adult that wants to go check out a show. It's like, you got to go pay downtown, pay $25 for parking before you even go pay for the ticket to go to a show. I mean, it's Austin's really got to a part, a point where it's not really supportive of uh music theme. So. Mm. yeah so it's it's so from some elements it's tough here but again you know if you're if you're looking you know and you're like okay well i'm gonna go find again there's you know there's tons of bars around you know if you want to go find a place i mean we ended up um we ended up finding a place that that kind of worked with the same um the same vibe that we were talking about except they were they were actually a happening little spot so they're coffee a coffee place um, called kick butt coffee and they run this really cool thing where they're very they, i think they're just extreme local band enthusiasts and they're like hey yeah all the bands get to keep the door and i think they just run that whole business like that and um very supportive giving that back to the bands and the bands treat the place very well and uh you know but again it's not in the it's not in the classic downtown locations it's about you know it's about 15 minutes out but super cool spot Nice. Um, I guess, uh, and you're currently still playing, right? Yeah. Yeah. My, my band still plays. We're right in the middle of probably just like chilling out for a little bit before writing music, but mm. yeah. So I guess we'll get to the, the gross topic. We, we want to talk about like when the whole like beast to call it the beast era here. Yeah. Like what did your band, what did yourself and your band do during that when everything was on shutdown? Yeah. So that was kind of what, you know, kind of what I was, so basically we, you know, we, we were putting together some music and, um, we were basically me and me and the drummer coming up with the, uh, the skeleton of what the music was going to be for the band. And yeah. we were like, you know, our vocalist was like, Hey, 
you know, can y'all, can you guys put this down on a recording so I can take it home and like study it and put vocals to it? Sure. You know, no problem. So, mm -hmm. you know, I would, we'd record some stuff very, you know, just very like, for lack of a better word, very ghetto. And, um, I yeah. would send it to, I would send it to my old guitar player, John, he lives in Florida. He would, um, he was like, man, send me that stuff. I'll clean it up a little bit. That way I can send it to your vocalist and he can listen to it and kind of, you know, do stuff. And my, my, my buddy in Florida is just like a nerd about the stuff. And he's like, Oh dude, if you could record this again and just like, instead of recording it with one mic, y'all don't have any more mics. And I'm like, no, he's like, Oh man, there's this like great mic package, uh, you know, Sweetwater cells here here can you can you guys get this you know because this would sound so much better okay sure you know and then it just turned into hey man you know if you if you had a you know if you got the focus right and you got reaper and you got this and you got that and um i could get this to sound just a little bit better you know i'm really having fun like tooling y'all stuff and it's like okay sure you know and um bam then the lockdown hit and it was just like okay like you know, we've got four or five songs where we've got all this stuff kind of, you know, where we stepped up the game with each song on recording it. And it was like, well, now we have nothing but time on our hands. So let's go ahead and take advantage of this and let's just put this album together, you know? And it's so um, during that time, that's what we did. We put that whole album together, um, you know, wrote it, uh, started the major recording process, you know, and then, that snowpocalypse thing happened like right during all that pretty much. And um, that was when it was like, okay, let's actually, let's even go back on the first tracks that were kind of like, the, you know, we recorded with two mics and now let's record it with all the mics. Let's get it down, you know, even better. So we, we made really good use of that time, you know, and it's, it's really cool because we look at it and we go, you know, that's something we'll remember for the rest of our lives. You know, um, it's where we talk about it and we say, you know, that's where, that's where the world, everything went on pause for us to write an album. Hmm. And you guys didn't have any problem actually getting together. You weren't like, oh, you're going to get me sick and blah, blah, blah. And uh, no, <laughs> our, um, one of our, our drummer's girl had a little bit of a problem with it and hmm. we just worked around it. You know I mean? It's like, what do you do? You know, like right. anywhere, anywhere you go, it's like, you know, it was, we weren't doing, nobody was doing anything else. That's, I think that's the deal we made with like the women and stuff like that is it was like, Hey, listen, you know, none of the, none of these guys are going around anyone. Like we're not going anywhere. Like it's mm. just us. And so, you know, like we're, 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 we're not risking it anywhere else, but we we're going to take this risk. Like no big deal. You know, I mean, what do you do? You can't just, you got to live a little bit. Right. And I think for us, it was huge. It was, it was a great place for us to be mentally, you know, versus just being like, you know, have nothing to do or feel useless or whatever. Like we were working, like we were really, you know, doing a lot of things outside of our comfort zone. Like I'd never recorded. I'd never wanted to do that. And the band, of course, you know, is like, dude, we should record this all 
on our own. And I'm like, bitch, I'm like, what you're saying here is I should learn how to do all this recording stuff and I should record us. Cause I'm like, y'all ain't doing it. And so, so I had to learn how to, you know, how to use Reaper, how to adjust mics, how to, you know, do all that stuff. And so, I mean, I, I'm not saying that, you know, I did it some miraculous job on it or anything, but it was stuff that I had no, but like I just all, throughout my whole career in music i avoided twisting knobs you know however i could like even when i was in bands with guys you know you always have that one guy in a band that's just a nerd on equipment i'd be like dude can you get my shit to sound good you know like <laughs> can you handle that and so this was just like you know okay fine i will get my hands dirty and do all this stuff you know and it was cool like um our guy john over in florida it was like you know as soon as we had some stuff down i would just shoot everything over to him and he was you know super instrumental he was just exactly like being another part in the band and just being like hey you know uh let's place the drum the drum mics like this and he would i would send him pictures and um he'd listen to it and i'd send him videos and he'd be like hey can you move that snare mic like you know six inches to the left okay cool here and he's like record do another sound check send it to me real quick okay cool um let's do this let's do this so um you know, we were, we were definitely working it for sure. It was a good thing for us. Yeah. That that's actually good. You know, that's a good thing that a lot of bands have picked that up too. Like, cause none of there's a bunch of stories that they didn't do anything, but like, that's cool. Like you also took advantage of those times. So like once things got better, were you guys like, all right, time to get on the road and do like, a bunch of promo for like the band or the music they worked on or how did um yeah yeah i think for us it was definitely one of those things and i, I think we i think uh, i think we're really happy that we did what we did when we could do things at that moment you know because as soon as life got back into like full gear it was like you know i own a i own a crossfit gym in austin mm -hmm. and you know, it's like all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're right back to work, you know, and my, uh, my vocalist has a kid, you know, and it was like, bam, he's in the liquor industry. He was like right back to work, you know, and, um, all of a sudden it was just kind of like a lot of life started to get real and like get back in the way it was like go time again. And so mm. it kind of slowed us down a little bit and made us like, you know, kind of like, okay, well, so we're, you know, what, what exactly are we trying to do? Are we going to try and continue to just like write and put out music? Um, are we, you know, what kind of take do we want to take on like playing out and playing live shows and doing all that kind of stuff? And um, it's a lot of work, you know, like a, a band that wants to go out there and hustle, you know, my, my first band that went out there and was successful, we hustled. Like we used to, you know, we did the whole thing. We did, you know, we did the, we, I mean, it was back then when, it, when you could do things like flyers were a big deal, you know, even stuff like that. So we, you know, like doing legwork, you know? And so with this band, it was, it's a different, it's a different time, right. Where everything's through like social media and all this stuff, but it's still a lot of legwork, you know? And so it's like, well, what are we, you know, do we want to just continue to just write music and have fun with it? Or are we trying to do all the legwork and do the, you know, what approach are we trying to take? And I think we've kind of sat back into, you know, like making music that we want to play and 
um, you know, maybe not concentrating on, you know, doing a lot of the shows. Like it's like, like at this time, you know, so, um, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, I, I, I love playing shows. I like doing that whole part of it, but, um, if these, you know, if the other guys in my band are to the point when they, where it's like, dude, they have families and it's like hard to get away and do the thing. I get that, you know, and these guys are like my best friends and, uh, it's just kind of where we're at, you know? You guys gone on like tours? Actually, like you've, you've done like small touring or huge tours? Like, no, not, no, not in this band. So this band kind of, this band actually, um, got together probably, um, probably like six months before the beasts. Yeah. So, uh, and it, and there's a big story behind it. So me and the drummer, uh, man. So the drummer like 20 years ago was in a power pop punk band that loved Austin. Right. And we were in this, I was in a metal band called my fix with uh, the female singer. And our bands were like best friends. We played at the same, uh, we rehearsed, rehearsed at the same um, like storage shed type place when we started out. And we just immediately clicked with those guys. They were hilarious. They were like the funniest dudes ever. And they would come over and watch us play, you know, practice. And then we would go over to their practice place and watch them. And we'd hang out all the time and do acid and just like all this, you know, just ridiculous stuff. And, um, and I, man, I remember that the, he, he used, he played, so it was my drummer in this band, but he was a bass player in his punk band. And, um, one night and he just, he, uh, we were hanging out and he was like, he, he had never heard, um, he had never heard the band corn like, and it, it was during their first album. So they weren't out long at all. And he heard him and he was like, dude, this is so badass. And I was like, yeah, it's dope. And he was like, man. And um, he was like, we were heading up to the practice space. And uh, and he's like, dude, he's like, ask my drummer, can I get on your drum kit? And the guy was like, yeah, sure. And dude, he got on there and ne never really played drums, just messed around. And he got on my drummer's kit and it, he, you could see him just like, looking at everything kind of like mapping out what he was about to do and dude he started playing and he just crushed he was like killing it and um just like a very like fierce style you know just like his you know and i was like dude this guy's this guy's badass and so um so that was where i so that's how long i knew this guy and then um this uh, my vocalist i met at a uh through a mutual friend uh, that was like, oh yeah, my my friend Cody, the vocalist, he was like, that guy was in a band in Corpus Christi. He's like, you were in bands. I'm gonna introduce you guys, you know. So we met and we started this uh, other band called Gigantelope. And this was probably back in you know probably like uh, now probably 12, 13 years ago. And um, with that band, we played with some national acts and stuff like that. And me and him decided that project was kind of like a almost like a southern metal kind of thing. And we decided to, him and I decided to break off um, and start something else, which was School for the Deaf. And, uh, you know, we were, the band was together for maybe, I don't even, I said six months. I don't even think that was it. It was probably like three or four months. And it was like, okay, so we're starting this new band and we need material like immediately. Like we didn't want to, um, 
we didn't want to take a break from like playing shows, like playing out because that the band Gigantelope had gotten to the point where we were really gaining ground and playing a lot of shows and doing some traveling and all this kind of stuff. And um, I knew that if we kind of slowed down that momentum, life would get in the way, you know, like, uh, and so we decided we need to hurry up and write songs. So um, I've never written songs like by myself. It was always like a collaborative effect, a collaborative thing in my other bands. Um, like my first band was definitely like full on collaboration. Like everybody came to the table with different things. Um, and then that was in my fix. And then the band uh, Gigantelope, I actually got a chance to take a back seat because I had a, um, I had a guitar player that was like full of piss and vinegar and he wanted to write everything. And it was like, cool, you know, that's one less thing I have to do. And so I would write my bass lines and, um, and it was really, you know, I, I, I tell my friends, I'm like, that was the biggest growth as a musician that I'd ever had um, going to like have to play someone else's style. Um, it was like a really cool challenge. It was like, you know, and I've actually seen people be kind of almost like negative to that kind of thing, you know, but it was like, it was very challenging and, and really cool though. Like you, you had to, it made you come up with things you never would have come up with before and play in a different style. You know, I wasn't, um, I wasn't like this huge, like Southern metal guy. I liked, I like the band down. Um, I, I think they're, I've always thought that they were cool. I'm just a Bill Ensemble fan being from New Orleans and everything. And I was um, going to say, you have like both genes because now you were from there and then you moved to Texas. So you're kind of yeah. like the hybrid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I, I got it. You know, I like some of the stuff I like, uh, you know, like little, little bit of like, you know, COC and stuff like that. Um, and so, you know, some of that stuff's cool. Not, not really exactly what I, would want to play but you know i it had been the first time since my from, since my first band so i was excited to play with people again you know and so i you know i still loved the songs and everything it was it was fun um but it did get to the point where me and the vocalists were like you know i think we want to play something a little bit different and uh you know so um we started school to the death and immediately i was like okay we need we need music like like quickly. And so um, it was the first time I'd ever tried to write like, like by myself. And um, I took four months and wrote that album um, from front to back. And uh, it was again, like a whole different style of uh, trying to work with music, you know? And, and I think, and I, I found big time benefits and then I found big time struggles where uh, some of the benefits were um, you do get a, instead of just coming to a practice place and everybody looking at each other and being like, what do you got? You know, and everybody throws something off the cuff. Um, it was like being able to write, you know, a verse and then sit with it and really try and think about it without the pressure of like your other band members looking at you like, what do you got? You got anything, you know, and you're trying to kind of think of something on the spot. It was like, you could sit there and, and try a thing. And if it didn't work, you're like, ah, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't really work. Let me think about this for a second. And I just remember like pacing my floor at like 
you know, three in the morning trying to come up with, you know, okay, I've got these three riffs that go great together, but I need that one last riff that really ties this all together and makes it work, you know? And, um, yeah, so it was, uh, you know, four months, 12 songs. And when, I mean, like, you know, it was like the, the, the whole structure of the song, the way the drums, like the basic pattern, you know, I would go to the drummer and be like, check this out. This would be, you know, you know, and, and then kind of like, uh, the struggle with that though, right. Is it's, it's still hard that you're, you know, again, you have to, that drummer has to be able to change his style now to do the thing that you're telling him to do. And now you've written the song, right? You've maybe like, I would even, there was parts where I wrote like the vocal melodies, like maybe not the words or like whatever, but I'm like, this is how all this would syncopate. And now you're asking someone to play the stuff that they didn't actually come to the table with. And I mean, they were totally on board with it. They were like, oh, badass, you got this all done. Like, this is sick. Like, this is great. But still like these little nuances of like, making everything like extremely tight it's tough it's really tough because every everybody hears things just a little bit different you know so um i think that's kind of the downside that's where i was talking about there was a guy on the one of the previous podcasts it's just like yeah you know i i you know want to write the music and then have all you know go to a different city and then these different musicians play it and i'm just like man blows my mind because you know just to get a, a couple of people on the same page for an album's worth of work is a lot of practice and um (laughs) you know and and the thing is is like that's one thing i think over time like all the bands i've been in were extremely tight like extremely tight like my band my first band my fix we played we practiced every single day you know i own a crossfit gym right now i have people that work out every single day an hour day every single day and i'm like when it comes to playing music and being in a band that's how it's got to be. You got to yeah. practice like every single fucking day. Like it's like you're going to the gym, you know, and you got to expect your wives and girlfriends and all this to like be okay with that stuff. And then you've got to go play shows and like do the whole thing. And, um, you know, it's a lot, you know, it's definitely a passion project. Cause obviously as, as you guys know and stuff, right. There's no money in it. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Like, are you wild on stage because you said you do CrossFit? I could see you do like David Lee Roth shit. No. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I was a big fan. I, that's actually, you know, if you go to my gym's bio right now, um, it kind of talks about that. It's like, you know, prior to doing CrossFit, the, the, you know, I was never in the athletics and stuff, but the rush of going on stage and having to know that you're going to go on stage before, you know, a band that's at the top of their game you know when we played with slipknot they were on the first album like they were out for blood and <laughs> we we played with them uh if anybody's ever seen slipknot on that or on the first album it was the craziest thing you would have ever seen it was crazy i mean like you know i remember seeing them um like a couple weeks after they were playing dallas and um, we went to Dallas and, and saw them. It was, it was pretty nuts because they're, you know, they're in this like venue that the stage had to be probably, you know, 25 foot across, which for like nine members was like nothing. Yeah. And 
they're playing and at one point dude i look on stage and like uh the dj sid is is over on the side and he's pissing you just see a line of piss into the air he's pissing and clown is lighting someone else on fire with uh with um like lighter fluid on his legs and burning up his suit and I the guy i've heard of all the crazy yeah this kind of crazy shit they dude, used to it was though. like chaos and i feel like was... they used to throw shit at each other too but that's what i heard it was a rumor i don't know i it could be man but like i remember they 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 grabbed the um they grabbed a keg uh clown grabbed the keg and threw it and it bounced and obviously the stage had like the stage of the club didn't have a barricade or anything and um they they threw it and it bounced off stage and hit this kid hit this little kid right and after the show we go outside and we had just played with them so and they were so freaking cool to us man they were like they kept up with us afterwards we used to talk to them on the phone and stuff um they, they wrote a big article about our band and everything um just the coolest guys we go outside afterwards and they have that hit out there and this the tour manager is walking around just pacing on the phone on the phone he's like pacing and pacing and you can tell everything's tense and they have that kid back there and they are just like taking pictures with him and giving him shirts and everything and the uh the tour manager guy was on the phone with the label who was telling him man y'all better make that kid the happiest kid in the world because we're not trying to get sued over what just happened and i mean <laughs> the band is just like giving him all this merch and taking pictures with him. And the kid is just looking like this is the best day of my life. I got a frigging cut on my eye from the slipknot show. And now they're hanging out with me and all this stuff. And what was crazy at that same show, probably, you know, and we, that their tour bus is parked right outside the club on the curb. And, um, on the back trailer, they had the back opened up and they had all of their, um, all their suits, uh hanging over the trailer like to get i guess they had probably washed them real quick and like hung them so that they could dry and um about 15 to 20 feet away around the back of the club was uh dimebag and vinny signing stuff and saying hey to everybody they were there at the show and mm. you know just um you know and i mean at the time you know it's like they were right there they were like 10 10 feet away from us and my guitar player went and took a picture with, with them and they were as cool as could be like, you know, but it wasn't like tons of security around and people stopping people from going in certain areas. No, it was like, just like yeah. all right there. Yeah. I can't imagine what those outfits smelled like. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. Cause they were saying like, they don't want, they like a nasty sweat would pour out of their mask and under their mouth. I mean, I've read like old stories about that, but I'm sure nowadays it's like they got a bunch of costumes and a team to clean them, but like oh yeah, know, yeah. The, the grind, the grinding days. I can't imagine nine dudes trying to. Well, I'm, I'm sure Roadrunner took care of them pretty good back in the day, but like yeah, nowadays, yeah, it's hard to pull off that many members and and then try to tour and no, yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, <laughs> it, was it was definitely crazy. Um, and so I remember we got we got a chance to see the uh we got a chance to see the the rider and everything when we played with them and we we actually saw the uh so they were on so right they had just gotten off Ozfest 
and they were on tour with Cold Chamber and they were on a night off and, you know, between like Austin and Dallas or San Antonio or something. And um, the promoter paid $500 for Slipknot to get him at the show on a night off, which is crazy. Cause you think of that's nine dudes. That's, their, you know, their crew, like $500. Like now, if I, if you thought about like what, what their cost was, dude, it's nuts. You know, I mean, $500 still a lot back in the day, but like, yeah, nowadays that that's is... $500 for the whole band for the night, you know? Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> that's, un- that's unheard of for like them now. Impossible oh. actually. Oh yeah, you could. But, but I feel like there's not very many members left. I mean, no pun intended. But like, I everybody keeps quitting. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think there's like a few of them left. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I I've kind of yeah, I've, I've stayed on top of it a little bit. You know, I think that I think the last one was Craig Jones was like the the guy with the spikes. You know, but I think he was like, you know, sampler guy and you know who knows, man. I, I think that easy, he's probably the easiest job. I think I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then yeah. to tell you the truth, man, like we had a lot of interactions with Clown and um mm. that dude, that guy's a genius. That guy is a uh like he definitely is like uh, a visionary and like just you know, ideas and and everything probably to the point of like where it's like uh you know, not ADHD, but like where it's like, uh, it's like talking to someone who's crazy kind of, you know, but like, yeah. they, but at the same time, they're very smart where it's just like, dude, like, you know, I even like Corey was super cool. Um, and he, but he's a little more grounded type, you know, but dude clown was just out there. And, uh, you know, we really had a lot of interaction with Joey and, um, uh, he was, he was one that he wrote that article for us and everything. Like he was really, he was a good dude. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, like, you know, and what was crazy too, is we played, uh, you talked about like with the late, how the label took care of him and everything. And, yeah. um, we, you know, yeah, they got, they got taken care of, but we saw also, uh, you know, we played with Nickelback and, um, the the, nick, the nickelback yeah yeah we played okay. with them right at the, <laughs> nice. right at, yeah right at the peak of the um that this is how you thumb oh, yeah yeah they were on roadrunner yeah. when they came out which is kind of weird that roadrunner yeah didn't. so dude they were like a golden ticket for for roadrunner at the time they were like mm-hmm. really pulling in like a lot of money and so they were getting taken care of but it, um those guys were prick <laughs> to tell you the truth we played this we played this show with them and um we had this uh there was you know like whenever bands would play this place they always had this back area where like everybody could go hang out and all this kind of stuff and um you know it was just their their band and their crew which wasn't like this like overly extravagant amount of people you know and um they had this like trough back in this room that was like you know like like a you, know, you picture like a texas trough of like for a horse to drink out of you know it was like one of those like a big like i don't know if you guys know what it is but it's like, like a big yeah yeah and so it was filled with ice and every kind of beer you could imagine and like huh. so much beer like so much beer like of all these different brands and everything 
And um, we walk back there and we we grab a beer, you know, and we're all like kicking it before the show. And some guy walked in. I think he was one of the guys from Nickelback, like one of the guys in the band, you know, and he walked in and, you know, we had just played with Slipknot like a month prior and Slipknot, like the guys, you know, we're opening for them and they come on the side of the stage, Slipknot, and they videotape us. They're like videoing us, you know, with the, like a handheld camcorder type thing. We're playing with Nickelback and these guys, like the guy comes into the room for a minute and he like turns around and walks out. You know, we were like, sorry, we were like, hey, and he turns around and walks out. And um, we're like, all right, we're like, all right, whatever, you know. And so a couple minutes later, the club owner comes in there and he's like, hey, guys, he's like, this is Nickelback's room tonight. And one of them just came and got me and said that you guys asked me to come get you guys out of here. And we're like, what? <laughs> And so we're like, man, you know, that guy, like, at what point do you, do you forget what it was like to be a local band and go tell the local band, like, Hey guys, like what, what's your names? Like, nice to meet you. Whatever, you know, like at what point are you too cool for that anymore? You know, there, it still happens, but that's kind of funny. That was Nickelback of all people. Yeah. You know, and we were just like, it was funny too, man, because we Aren't just they Canadian. Got yeah. 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 They're supposed to be like really nice. <laughs> Yeah. so we had just gotten off stage and like that was the thing too man we were like we were you know we were not nickelback fans and we were kind of like you know we were like what the fuck roadrunner y'all sign these guys like you have all these cool bands and then you sign these guys you know and so you know we were like man we're gonna go play that show and we're gonna fucking murder it like mm-hmm. we got asked to be on the bill and we were like well, we're definitely not turning this down we're gonna go and like just like fuck shit up so we went <laughs> and just had like an amazing show and um you know and then afterwards they were jerks and it was like i don't know we were kind of like cool good we you know we're almost more glad that you guys didn't come back here and we're like super cool and we're like damn it like they were cool guys we like those guys now you know so um you know and i'm sure i'm sure every band is you know I'm sure they're cool guys, but we, I think we just kind of took it as like, you know, <laughs> took the opportunity to be like, you know, yeah. One more reason I, not to like I, them or something. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, you know, my band's open up for a few, like some well-knowners and kind of base it on how, like, even if I don't really listen to music, I, I might chat with the band. It just depends on the band. Like I would just remember like one particular band, I won't say who, like, they all hid and like i never saw any of them so yeah i was just like oh okay whatever i mean they didn't come out until until they played so i don't know if that's some it all depends and it's not saying i lost respect for the band i was just like oh they must be one of those types but yeah you know and i think i think too like we you know we played a show with anthrax and they kind of uh you know, I think we quickly kind of realized like man you know those dudes play those dudes have been playing forever like I don't, you know, and we were like, man, I kind of don't blame them that they, that they don't, they do this every night, you know, and if they wanted to check out the, the local stuff, like every night, it's probably stretch, you know? So none of them like came out at all. You didn't see any? So Scott, Scott Ian did. And he actually, yeah, he talked to my singer was like, Hey, you did a really good job tonight. And That's like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, he I, heard he, I heard he wasn't, I've heard stories. He's either nice or not nice. So I don't know. I just assume he's. Yeah, I heard he was, he was really nice. And then the um, this now, um, I don't know too too much about Anthrax, but they had this singer 
at the time, which it seems like they, I, it, it seems like they kind of have gone through a couple singers. Um, just and two. So, okay. There's okay. a one, run real short guy. Well, I won't say Nance, but run yeah, real short yeah. guy. And then one the short was... guy. He was kind of short. He almost looked a little buff, uh, brown hair. Like really spray on tan? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm assuming. Well, I don't know if it was. What's his name? Uh, well, they had the first singer was like, I can't even think of his name right now. He's because he, he's back. And then they got one in the middle whose name's John. He didn't sing very high. He's, he had a nice voice, actually. It might have been. It, it depends on what year you, you yeah. play with him. Yeah, this. Yeah, I can't remember. But but he was a nice dude, you know, mm, and then yeah. um, man, I just remember and I wasn't an anthrax guy, but I remember there was this dude at the show that was just like that was crazy about this. Their drummer was just like <laughs> massive fan about. So yeah. for the anthrax fans out there, that that drummer must be like next level because man, this guy was all about that guy. According to this, they've had like five singers. What? Really? Joey Belladonna. Yeah, jo Joey's original, and then they got John, John Bush. After yeah, and that's the main ones. Like says Neil Turbin, Dan Nelson, and Matt Fallon. Now, those guys probably don't count. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's the thing. That's why I said that. I want to say that I've like look, looked them up to kind of be like, you know, or, or seen pictures of Anthrax, and I'm like, wait a minute, that definitely wasn't the singer that was there at the show. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we played some really interesting shows. We played, um, we played a uh, a reunion show for um, this band. You know, there was a back in the eighties. There was a band that was like during like the hair metal phase. There was a band here in uh, Austin that was like MTV level called the Dangerous Toys. Huh. Um, yeah, out of Austin, and uh, they uh, they did a comeback show, and we played with those guys, and they were the nicest dudes ever. And they're, you know, and we didn't know it at the time, you know, I'm not from Texas or, you know, not from Austin and stuff. And so like, we didn't know like how big those guys were like, you know, and somebody was like, dude, you know, like, you know, we got asked, Hey, do you guys want to be on this dangerous toys show? You know, they were big band in the eighties and we're like, yeah, definitely. You know? And, um, and man, these people, like because it was the reunion show and they hadn't played in forever. These people showed up in droves and just freaking love that band. And like I, I think they're still playing shows like today. I think they just you know did like a um, like one of these like one of these like shows on the like a um, what is it, the boats you know like a cruise ship. Yeah, like the they're you know what a yeah. <laughs> basically like a, the cruise the crew, yeah, cruise a, cruise like, cruise rock like concert yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. They, yeah they just did one of those and um yeah they were big time as now it's, it's it could come to the point of the audience where i'm going to try to guess what you look like for the okay audience. i picture i don't know do you listen to devin townsend at all uh, I so I don't. I have a friend that that I she see, he, I'm picturing you like being the drummer that he had with a mohawk and buff. So that's all <laughs> I could. I could. That's all I'm thinking about. Like a CrossFit guy. He's from Texas. He must have a tan. He's got to have a mohawk. 
to show to show his rock roots, but wow. yet pro- appropriate for somebody who's buff. <laughs> gotcha. Am I wrong? Well, I'm, I guess if you don't know what the drummer looks like, that does not help me. Yeah, no, I got. Uh, uh, I have. Uh, yeah, I just have dreads. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd say <laughs> completely buff, but. <laughs> I was way off then. But yeah. yeah. Who do you think you look like? <laughs> oh, man. Do you get called like, hey, aren't you blah, blah, accidentally? Um, You know, it's funny. There's a there's a guy. There's another guy here in town that uh, that has a band. And, and it's really interesting. He he uh, he's has like billboards up here in Austin. And he's a he's a lawyer. Mm. And um, and he has dreads, and so people see him on these billboards, <laughs> and it, yeah, and he has a band, you know, and um, he's is like his name's David Comey, and it's this lawyer that rocks, and um, I'll have people every once in a while are like, hey, you know, David Comey, look like him, and I'm like, oh man, like well, you got a camera, right? Can you turn it on so I can see what you look like? See how um, close I was. Let me see here. That's not too weird, I guess. Let's see. Did that do it? Oh, okay. No, you you look like the no. I was way off, way off. <laughs> you look like the singer for Chris uh, Chris Barnes, Cannibal uh, Corpse singer. Cannibal Corpse. You could be totally him. I was way <laughs> off. All right, you can turn your camera off. <laughs> All right. Well, you, you look like Chris Barnes. I would have never guessed. What band is he in now? He's in Six oh. Feet Under. That's what I was thinking. He. Yeah. Isn't yeah, he the I one that's like talked a bunch of shit lately, and everyone hates him? <laughs> is he the guy that has the uh like the skulls and shit in his house uh i don't he could did, did somebody get, didn't somebody get caught with like a bunch of skulls and stuff in their house and then they have they have uh songs that is like i have a skull in my house <laughs> i don't know if that's the same maybe i don't i don't really follow up on him i mean like I know he occasionally says some dumb shit on the internet and everyone wants to cancel him because he says modernized metals a bunch of pussies or something now. Somehow they gave him, he still got a career. That's what you look like, though. That's funny. I was way off. (laughs) So, actually, I was going to say, like, so um, you're obviously a bass player, right? So, like, it's funny how many bass players we keep talking to on here, but there's so many that there's still like a lack of bass players everywhere and it's like everywhere going on. So you're one of the like lucky people that have a working band. And I mean, are you just in one right now or are you just in several? Cause this usually is how it works too with drummers. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm in one band. Um, you know, I, I here in Austin, that is a big thing that people have like a lot of bands and like, uh, you know, um here there's here there's definitely like a drummer uh shortage i think like yeah definitely i think here what's happening is a lot of people are you know um either in like you know they're doing like drum work for stuff on the internet a lot of times um it's just it's such a different time right now but i guess that's the thing right it's like i would love to have just like one band and concentrate on like making it the tightest thing ever than having like multiple bands. Like, I don't understand how people do it to tell you the truth. It's actually like a great advice that I hear a lot is just like 
stop selling yourself short for all the little things. And if you just concentrate on one, that would be the maximum focus for your music. And yeah, it, yeah, it would be the time. Understand it would, that though. No, they don't. But like, I, I don't see how anybody would want to like cut themselves short. If Dude, you want to, yeah. I, I think I think we're in such an odd time too, man. I think that you know, like to tell you the truth, this is like it might it might be like a dying breed because, like, I you know, some of the stuff that I really like when I talk about like being in one band and like getting them tight, like, you know, my first band, we didn't, we practiced all the time and we never, it's like, we didn't use metronomes. Like we, it was, everything was based off of like feel and we were just tight. Like we were extremely tight, like in any situation, like we'd do a pause in the song to, to, for like dramatic purpose and it was like we all knew when we were coming back from that like you know all this kind of stuff and um you know now i think that a lot of people are like oh, okay hey do you want to start something awesome well i'm gonna write all the music on a metronome and you know can you play to a metronome that way you learn stuff and like we practice like once a week or something like that and i'm just like dude like what i'm like this you know and i think that my ways of thinking are probably a little bit older now, you know, because it, people don't think this way anymore. You know, it seems to me anyway, mm. you know, um, that the people that I, other people that I played with and other people that have kind of got stuff, you know, talk to them or whatever, it seems like that's the general way that they try and play. And I'm like, man, I don't, you know, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, I mean, you're not wrong. And I feel like, a lot of people want to put the click tracks and extra things, but like that works too. But yeah, there's some, there's old school feels too, where you're just kind of bouncing off each other and, and there's nothing wrong with that either, but you know, it's like everybody wants to modernize everything. Yeah. <laughs> like I would, I, I mean, we don't play to a click. I wish we did. Cause then I could add more stuff in it. Cause who needs to hire keyboardists, but like, no, if, I mean, we do pretty well as far as being tight. And that's the most important thing because again, you're feeding off each other. If if somebody is, you know, behind, you'll know that they haven't been practicing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I guess that's the thing, right? Is like if you know, there might be nights where we're where somebody in the band is like going through some shit or whatever, and like maybe the music might feel slightly different, but we all felt different as a band. Like it all maneuvered that you know or if like you know if everything was hype it was just crazy like i don't know but everything was always tight you know yeah. i don't know um it, it definitely yeah. varies it depends on like the, if how nervous somebody is or if the venue is like hot and you're just like yeah trying trying to you, you might be going faster than you should <laughs> but well yeah. it, it that's what happens you know yeah, I just see a lot of like people looking for musicians around here and you know it's a lot of like yeah, hey, you know people that are in like multiple bands or like you know and I'm just like dude like with <laughs> you know with a really good hard working band, I just don't see where you have that where you have time for anything else. Like the only time the only time that I think that having a when I hear people having a, like a second or a third band is I'm like, "Oh, that's the guy in the band." that can't seem to get enough of his 
like is probably that's the one guy that's like, Hey, we should be practicing more or we should be playing more or we should be um, working harder. And the rest of the band is like, can't seem to get it together. And so that one guy goes, well, if y'all aren't going to get off your asses, I need to go. I have, I'm like hungry and I need to go explore. I need to go get some other people to try and, you know, because you guys aren't, you guys aren't doing it. Like I need you guys to do it, you know? And so I, you know, and it's, it's tough, right? Like I, I think I've always thought that like when, you know, when you'd hear about like one of your favorite bands is like, Oh, now the singer is now doing something with this other thing. You're like, Oh man. Like, (laughs) I mean, it depends on who it is and how much time they have. I mean, if they're doing this for a living, they got all the time in the world, but I'm sure like somebody like you who's got, you said your own business. It's like, I don't have time to do that. I got my band and then my business and Dude, I always free time. No, it's crazy because I always looked at it as like I have my business this way because I want a successful band, you know. And like so I think I think that's like kind of you're kind of tapping in a little bit of like what's going on with my band, right? Like I've got a bunch of guys that are, you know, I'm like, I wish they would put forth a little bit more of their time into their craft, you know, and like we could play shows and do all the stuff, you know, and it's like, I'm like, damn, man, like I would, you know, if I had, if I had the right situation, would I end up starting another project as well? That would still Mm -hmm. be like, damn dude. Like, you know, I mean, I don't think I could handle two, but it's kind of, it's enticing, you know? Mm. That's funny. Cause like, I was telling Brandon earlier that uh, we're trying to order scrims, right? Because our singer suddenly wants them, but our yeah. guitarist, <laughs> he's the one with the money and like he was supposed to order them long ago, but it feels like I told my singer, Mike, why do you always have, why do I always have to remind him? It's almost like he's going to do it only now when he said something versus he said something a long time ago about him. Now he's like looking into it. I'm like, wait, we told him this like months ago. I don't know. Shit like that. <laughs> yeah. Dude, being in a band is the hardest like it is you know a lot of it's so funny too because a lot of times people think of people in bands being like fuck offs or something and it's like dude it's the hardest thing that you'll ever do and i think that's why um i think that's the challenge right it's like it's like dude you're not doing it for the money you're doing it for you know the like to get a couple of people on the same page and create an artistic like thing Right. And like you're dealing with everything in those other people's lives. You're dealing with, you know, they're, you know, maybe, maybe one of the girls in the band, like the, the, you know, girlfriends or wife or something is a bitch, you know, if there's always that shit going on, (laughs) like that always (laughs) always fucking happens, you know, I mean, go ahead. Are you the band dad, Scott? Um, on some things, you know, on other things, no. But like, okay. it's, it's interesting. Okay. Like everybody seems to have like, you know, you got the band dad role on like this, this, and this, but then somebody else has got it on something totally different. That makes sense. You know? Okay. Okay. I thought maybe you were, it just seemed like you knew what you wanted and you want to focus on that. And by you saying what you did, I thought maybe you were just like, these guys that don't have their heads together. So I have to do it. You know what I mean? That's the impression. Well, it's, kind maybe of, not. it's just kind of like, you know, when you, it's kind of like, like just you want people to you know i 
I think I've built my life kind of in such a way where I'm like, you know, I music's always been like my like number one thing where it's like, I really want to do that. And what's cool too, is like, as you get older, you go, you know, I think it like, I still want to play music. Like there's no part of me as I get, you know, as I get older that goes, ah, I don't know to put that up. Like, I'm like, man, I would still love to be like, you know, like I think about like, imagine like a couple friends that like get together and still play music when they're like older. Yeah. I'm like, that, that would be the shit. Like what's, you know, and I, I always think it's funny too, when people give these bands like a hard time, you know, these like even fucking like Motley Crue or, or whatever. And they're like, Oh, I'm like, bitch, like, <laughs> those dudes still doing what they love to do like rolling stones <laughs> all of them all yeah. of them you know and, and like they're still doing what they love to do like that's so cool like they get to you know that's and i think that's a i think that might be a generational thing too that that we look at you know i don't know how i don't know how old you guys are but like you know looking at like you know I think there was definitely a time when I was younger where it was like the only thing that could break through was like young bands. Like that's it. Mm. And um, I don't know if that's the same thing anymore because I, it seems almost to me like the younger bands are, are stuck regardless anyway. Like mm. they're not, you know, I'm not seeing these. Bits. Yeah, go ahead. I guess it depends on the band. Like there's a lot of them that are younger that are stupidly groundbreaking, but at this point the bar has been like set even higher i don't know if because the whole youtube thing and then starting up early and you know because youtube created a lot of crazy musicians offering free lessons and whatnot but as before you'd have to go to teacher and all this but like Uh i think the youtube generation has spawned a lot of crazy young people my opinion or maybe it's always been there but i don't know (laughs) like polyphia they're from texas and that band's ridiculous for what they are and they're like really young <laughs> yeah uh, so that's a good example of something yeah i just yeah. i think there's i you know i, I don't think it's like I, I think back in the day it used to be like well you're not going to be you you honestly have like the small window where it's like if your band is like successful you've got to be between like 18 and you know like 20 five 26 years old you know now it's like i'm you know you're seeing these tours that are out there and these big shows that are out there and they're still like these dudes that were from you know 20 years ago 30 years ago are still crazy successful and but what's what's nuts now you're i'm you're really hearing about a lot of the bands that are that are upcoming that are struggling their record deals are shitty they're you know they can't seem to get like a financial foothold yeah, as easy as bands did in the past you know yeah, the money's not there no more so it's just like even harder for like unless you're mm-hmm. completely groundbreaking then like you're gonna struggle which there's right. no there's no money when it comes to playing in bands these days unless you're some huge tiktok celebrity yeah like that. Yep. yeah it's a popularity contest that's the misconception um, people have is they think all these bands are pocketing all the money. I was like, you don't understand that most of these guys are right. just doing it to survive. Okay. They don't even get shit for money. Yeah. So this is kind of where, you know, where I saw you guys were looking, I guess we can get into it now. So this is where I saw, you know, you guys were looking for 
someone to kind of jump on the show and talk about, you know, different stuff that's going on, you know, kind of in the, you know, out there in the ether. Right. And I saw, um, we, there was a big show that happened in Vegas called sick new world. This happened probably, this was like a month and what, like a month and a half ago or something. And, you know, tickets went on sale, like, I don't know, it was like beginning of the year. And, um, the tickets sold out in like a matter of hours. Right. But like, you know, if I went down the list on this, it was like, you know, I think the headliners were corn, Deftones, system of a down. Um, and then from there, there was like on that same bill was like incubus Soulfly, um, um, cold chamber got back together to play it. Um, uh, Kitty got back together to play it. Was that, um, yeah, that was the outside show because I think I saw the video for Cold Chamber. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, okay, I don't know yeah. yeah, 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 and um, okay. Seven Dust and Spirit Box and just like all these bands. And it was uh, so we we got our tickets, um, and we were like, cool, we're gonna jump in. Like, there's like a Facebook group for it, and we're just kind of watching, you know, everybody talking and everything. And I, ma- I made this comment. And I, I try to stay off, you know, I try to stay off social media with cesspool. But <laughs> I make this comment in this Facebook group about like I say, man, I miss the days when bands didn't have to whore themselves out by doing meet and greets. And um, you know, I, I went to this show um a long time uh, this was way ways back where I saw uh that band nonpoint. And they did this thing when they when they got done playing, they said, Hey, anyone that comes over to our table and buys a CD, we will take them on the tour bus and uh, and we'll hang out. And I remember being like, damn, that's it's getting rough out there because like, you know, that's their home. Like a tour bus is like, that's like these guys live in there, you know, it's like and if they know like every night they're going to do this thing where they have to try and sell some CDs to get people to come on the bus, you know, they got to clean their house. They got to. You know, and then when they're ready for everybody to get the fuck out so they can chill out finally after the show and like go to, I don't know, rest before you have to go to sleep and like whatever, you know, I'm like, God, that kind of sucks. Like, you know, and, and, um, I'm like, but that's how hard it was getting, you know, this was at the, this was like at the end of CD sales and you could tell they were really trying to, to move some copies of the CDs. Hmm. So, um, I see the same thing with these meet and greets, right? Like you can pay the amount of money to go to the show, but if you pay an extra amount of money, you can either see the band like before or like see some of their sound check. Uh, and so they'll, they'll play like a couple songs for like a sound check and you get to watch it. And then afterwards everybody lines up and you usually take a picture with somebody in the band or, you know, the band, whatever. And I'm like, man, so back in the day that looked like, you know, let's say you played a show on like a Thursday or Friday night. Well, you end up, you know, hanging out with the other bands. You end up maybe a couple of fans, maybe a couple of key fans that you've known for years that come to everything, you know. And by the end of the night, you're you've had some probably some beers in you, probably smoked a bunch of pot, who knows, whatever <laughs> you've done, God knows whatever. And you you get on the bus and you go to sleep. You're driving all night. You're the shit's uncomfortable. It's not your bed at home, you know. You're in this tiny little space. And then the next day you get in some town, you got to find some food. Like, you know, you got sound check at, you know, whatever time. And you, you know, it's, you get to live a little bit, a little bit of your, you know, 
of your day, you know, doing whatever it is you want to do. And then, um, sound check and then you kind of get primed and ready for the show whatever that looks like you know as as a guy in the band and then you play the you play the show as hard as you can and then you're you know maybe you're toast for a little bit you go hang on your bus you chill the fuck out and then you go back up in the club and mingle a little bit if you want to fuck i'm sure there's plenty of times where they're like dude i just don't even want to go tonight like i'm just not feeling it whatever but now instead of your of all this you have to like get ready early like you're a headliner so you go on at like you know 10 or 11 or whatever but you got to get ready now at like five o'clock you know we saw we actually went to one of these for spirit box and this chick uh they're amazing by the way this but this girl has to like be ready to see all of her fan base at like five o'clock instead of 10 o'clock at night you know and it's like dude like that sucks. Like they're, I'm like they're, Cana- they're Canadian. They're probably nice about it. <laughs> yeah, dude, she's fucking that chick is amazing. But so oh, yeah. like, but the thing is, it's like, man, that's like they're having to do this. They're, it's not because they want to do it. It's like they have to do it because they're not making any money from the thing. And so, so kind of what I was saying was like, you know, I hate that bands have to do that now. And you know, and it was so funny because a lot of people in these groups were like man, they, it shouldn't be something that they think about it like that. They should just, they should want to do it. They're out there making all this money, doing the thing that they like to do. And they owe it to the fans. You know, we were the ones that paid, you know, $80 for this ticket to go to Vegas or whatever it is. I don't even, I think it was more than that, but whatever. But they're like, I'm paying all this money. The band should do that for, you know? And it's like, I'm like, what? Like these bands, like there was a time, there was an age, a lot of people don't know now, where these bands were superheroes. These bands were like, you know, untouchable. And the, you know, like I, I wasn't really around in the 80 band era, but like those dudes were like superheroes, you know, those right. were like untouchable. Like to, you know, if you ever had somebody that back from back then that was like, dude, I met whoever, you know, Slash. Axel Rose. Axel Rose. Yeah. Yeah. One of those. Two. Axel, that was like, whoa, you know, it was like, big deal and it's like now oh i met so and so it's like okay cool you probably paid a meet and greet you shook his hand he stood next to you for a second you took a picture I, like it totally takes the whole element out of that you know i guess and, i never i guess like now that you bring that up like i guess i never looked at it that way but like it's interesting how you're looking at it it's like i mean like when did these things become the norm like is that something on their contract they had to do or is it like an easy because you're saying like you know they paid a certain amount for tickets so it's like how much of the band does the band get of this ticket versus for versus all the everybody else involved like manager and yeah so the band's not probably not getting anything you know you think about it they're wrapped into like so now the deals are probably like so they're like these 360 deals that's like the new way that they really burn you and then in the 360 deal it used to be like so we were we were pretty good friends with the band seven dust and they would kind of talk to us about like, just like, you know, how some of the structures of deals would work. Basically it's kind of like a, a bank loan, right. It is all a record deal right. is. And yeah. um, a lot of times you would make a significant amount of your money off of touring. So it was even at that point, it was like, you still weren't making any more. Like you weren't, there was a time where you made money off of a record, off of a physical copy. Like you would make like X amount and it still was like, that was kind of up for like whenever you're doing your deal, like how much of that you get and all this kind of stuff. And yeah. 
Um, and eventually, you know, that's getting like whittled down, whittled down. And then it got to the point where, where it was like physical copies weren't a thing. And it was like the bands could make the money off of touring. Well, you know, then it was like and off merch. Merch was like a big thing. It was like they made like that was their bread and butter was like touring sell merch. Well, then it was like that, you know, the touring, right, is like you have to pay for the bus or the or the RV or whatever. And those buses are crazy expensive. So you oh, would yeah. see a lot of these bands hold out forever on like an RV. They would buy an RV and like, dude, those things are like pieces of shit from what I understand. Like they would right. be like, dude, fucking things just fall apart. They're not meant for like this much like wear and tear. They're not meant to live out of it. They're meant to do like a week, you know, a year or something. Not fucking all year long that's why they know? break so, down yeah they break down it's like a shit. yeah they break go. down like non-stop and everything breaks on them it's like comical like oh this week the microwave thing fell apart and like we got to get that fixed and then like mm. the fucking this thing broke and like this thing's a piece of shit and you know this like everything breaks on these so in order to take that jump though to an to a tour bus is like crazy i want to say it's like six thousand dollars like a week I, my numbers might be totally wrong and totally skewed but it's like crazy ridiculous and so that's like cuts into that bank loan right you're like oh man like you know and they, and they say like the biggest thing that you'll constantly hear from your tour manager or from everything is the word recoup like they're like get used to that word because you're gonna hear it non-stop recoup 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 yeah, yeah. and so they're like you know um they're like you you constantly get noise from your tour manager and your um like i don't i think this is probably like the anr guy like you're you're getting this like hey you know numbers like brought up to you like hey this is where the numbers are this week this is what the album's doing this week this is where we're at this week this is like you know, how much did we sell at each show? Like you're, you know, somebody's reporting on all those numbers. Like, Hey, this is how many copies we sold. This is how we're doing in that city now, like on and on and on. And so, um, you're constantly getting these numbers thrown in your face about where your recoup is at. Right. And so then, then they're like, you know, as soon as they're like, Hey, some band is doing this thing, they're noticing a spike in, in album. So they're noticing a spike in, you know, whatever, and it's working for them. Well, we, you know, as soon as the labels get to hear that shit, they're like, hey, y'all need to be doing that too. Like, y'all need to be doing that because they're, you know, there's success there. And then especially when, the when you know, now the record labels with the 360 deal, that means they get 360 degrees of, so it's basically like they get a little bit of everything. So now they get part of the merch sales. Right. Where it used to not be that way. It used to be all the merch sales went to the bands. Well, now they get a piece of that. Well, then now the clubs are like, well, we want a piece of the merch sales. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like a whole, that's like the new thing. And so, you know, it was like telling these people in that group, like, hey, you know, there's these bands aren't making shit. And they're like, bullshit. They're on this bill and there's this many people and they're all paying this money. And I'm like, dude, nah, I guarantee there was bands on that bill that weren't made that were like, just, just like making next to nothing. You know, where meanwhile, any of the, like, let's say there was, you know, let's just say, because I, you know, the, the amount's not $100,000, but for a round number, let's say they have $100,000 allotted to pay the bands. The bands that are getting a majority of that money is, you know, Corn, System of Down, and Deftones, um, the headliners, right? Because if without those guys being the, the, um, 
like the anchor, you know, it's, it's not as big of a show as it would be, you know? So then from there, the money starts to trickle down like quite a bit. And then I guarantee there's bands on that bill that were paying, you know, getting paid, you know, not very much, but we're extremely happy to be on that bill to like reignite their exposure, you know, stuff like that. So, hmm. um, you know, and then from there they have to pay their, their crew, you know, their touring expense. And then who knows, sick new world could have been like, Hey, you know, we want part of that merchandise that y'all are selling at this thing. So, and, uh, so yeah. So basically like, the the whole meet and greet like again like at one point did that come into play like i don't know i i mean i've never done one like i i like some bands a lot but i feel like i'm not paying to see them i mean what if a lot of bands even if you don't do that they just come out and hang after the show and you'd be lucky to like that you even get that but like i don't yeah. know at one, at one point did they capitalize on like meet and greets maybe maybe it's been always been a thing I don't know. I mean, you'd always get like VIP passes, but it wouldn't be a meet and greet. But and then VIPs turn into like meet and greets, right? Yeah. So I think yeah, and I think VIP passes used to be more like, oh, you get to go to this like VIP like party thing. I think it was kind of like, you know, um, so it wasn't I, as cheesy as like the meet and greet because I'm trying to yes. think of at one point how long a meet and greet has been out. So for instance, like we we, we did this meet and greet thing for. Um, for spirit box right mm. so we got to go it was like a it's like a package now it's like this whole package so it's like okay cool you get to go you get to watch two or three songs from soundcheck um then it was like you know you get to it's like a q a so they're on stage you get to ask a couple of questions it sounds then, like a stalker thing like when somebody brought this up once that it just sounds like a stalker kind of thing. <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of weird and so then they go okay cool so you can now um so then you get a shirt that's only exclusive to people that do this particular thing. And then you get a, um, I want to say there was something else we got, Oh, a poster, you know? And it's just kind of like, damn, like, um, like why, like it's something about it. Like you said, you put, you nailed it when you said cheesy, there's something about it. That's just cheesy. If it was like, Hey, you're invited to the VIP party. And it's like, Oh, what does that mean? Um, it's just like, listen, there's like, you know, like 200 people, they get to go to it. It's an after party or a before party. And, oh, is the band going to be there? Oh, I don't, we don't really know. We don't guarantee that. There's a chance <laughs> that the band might pop in. Like, how cool is that? And then the band pops in and you're like, damn, they want to be here. They wanted to say hey to their fans. Cool. Right. You know, there's something about it now where it's like, they have to be there and they have to say hey to their no. fans. And you're like. Ew. like I just like yeah i just never like you said you're like yeah just like you're saying you're like i just something apart about it just makes me not want to do it, I, I i like yeah because to me that's a guarantee that for me like if i see a band and i accidentally grab like not accident they throw one of like a pick at me and i actually catch the one they actually use like to me that feels more special because it's like i kind of earned that somehow like oh that's cool or right. are they or they come backstage like the one time like steel panther came out here and like they came and hung out at the bar area just to hang out. And like Satchel was dressed as a like, normal person. And I got a picture with him and it's like weird because he was being like, not Satchel. <laughs> he was just being a normal guy. And it was like, he was just talking to me like a sweet, not, he was like a super nice dude when he's not being sad, even though he's, when he's Satchel, yeah, he's funny, but that's special, right? So, it's like, 
Yeah. It's they're like, just how, hanging out. Just hanging out. Yeah, like, it's like, how would it be if everybody that comes to the show, as they scan your ticket, you get to pick up a, you get to pick up a pick at the door. It's like, no, like no, you got I to want catch. to catch a sweaty, worn out one that I found on the floor or landed on me accidentally. And it, but yeah, I and just, so that's, yeah. that's kind of the, the, the thing it was like, and man, it's like, you know, I see why bands do it or whatever, but it's like, I miss the days when music was, when the bands were put on such a high pedestal and were getting paid and taken care of mm. to where they didn't have to do shit like that. Like I want my, I want to know that my band partied so hard last night that they had to sleep all day long and had to woke and, and they woke up an hour before the show and they don't even know what fucking city they're in. And somebody's like, dude, we got shown an hour. You got to get ready. And they like, Oh fuck. Okay. <laughs> All right. And then they maybe do a fucking line of Coke and they're like, I'm ready to go. You know, like there's something about that. Like, Oh my gosh. Like this is like, you or, know, or the things you never knew because a lot of the bands were mystery anyway. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or mystery. So, social like, media has ruined that somewhat. Yeah. Jaded, and now, jaded their mystery. We're going to yes, have and, to wrap this up here soon. Uh, yeah, but you're right. You're right. We have a... Typically, we don't really care, but now that they're allowing to, for these videos to get transferred over to YouTube without me having to do anything, there's a two-hour limit. We're pushing that gotcha. two-hour two hour vibe, so I'd rather not have to not have the video on there. Gotcha, man. But yeah, basically... Uh, at this point, at the end of every episode, if you check some out, we play a song from whoever we interviewed. So if there's a song you have from something you've recorded recently and you'd like us to have it out there, you can talk about it a little bit. If there's something you want to talk about or share with the audience. Um, Sure. If you, uh, I guess you just pull it up on Spotify. Well, you can send me the MP3 or the WAV file and I actually add it to the audio from the interview so it streams when this like was we're done talking, the music will start playing for the audience to check out. I got you. And is it um and so you said an MP3 or a wave? Can um I don't know how to convert it like from Spotify or whatever. Yeah, I'm not sure how you convert it. As long as it's a file that I can add to my like interface program to, that I put everything together with it'll work. Like if you have the album on your computer and then yeah, you probably send like the something from there to him. yeah i can probably just give us my studio guy and be like hey man send me a there you go <laughs> yeah whatever awesome. works but yeah basically uh where can they find your music at where can they check you out at what's the name of the project you're in all that good stuff cool yeah just uh school for the deaf on spotify and apple music it's on all the <laughs> that'd be fun sorry it's hard to find that because of the name like wait there's schools for the deaf everywhere <laughs> yeah 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 school with that we just tell everybody hey one word oh okay. yeah one right word. there and all that one word guys <laughs> yep that's awesome right on well scott i appreciate you coming out and talking with us excellent man it's been fun Hell yeah. yeah you've had some good interesting stories from an era of music that uh i grew up in like i was a new metal kid throughout the 90s because that was the music of my generation Yep. Um, Corn and Deftones were some of my favorite bands back in those days. Yeah, man. But, right on. Well, 
anyone out there listening, if you want to be on Dark Side of the Scene, send an email to Brandon at DarkSideOfTheScene.com and we'll get you scheduled. But we're going to roll on out here. So thanks to Scott. Thanks for checking it out. And we'll catch you on the next one. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Oh.